You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Psalm 91 has been a foundational chapter, I think, for nearly every believer that I've ever known. There's, it is a chapter that is filled with promises from God. And so it is a chapter from which we draw lots of promises. It's a chapter that we stand on. Um, you know, in a time like this, I mean, I've been seeing lots of teaching on Psalm 91. The Lord, and I've told you this before, the Lord had me uh, get into Psalm 91. He just one morning during my prayer time, and it was probably in early February or maybe mid-February. It was a while before all of this was even on the, at least on my radar, um, the Lord had me, he told me in the morning, I want you to read Psalm 91 every day. And so I'd been doing that for weeks before any of this came up. And when all of this came up, I felt like, wow, Lord, you really prepared me to be able to stand on the promises that are in this chapter. And for us, and probably for many of you, I mean, this has been a foundational chapter for decades. And I just want to say this going into this, you know, most of you know this, but um, but not everyone when we talk about standing on the word or standing on certain passages like this, we're talking about taking the word of God or a portion of the word of God, a specific portion, a promise or a few promises, and we we stand on them. We make them a foundation for our lives, for our, for our beliefs, for our uh, activities, for how we make choices, and most specifically, for our prayers and for our declarations over our lives. We, we want to take the promises that God has made and we want to pull them down into our hearts so that they take root and they produce. And, and out of that production of that word, our lives change, our behavior changes, our choices change, everything about us changes. And our prayers should be formed many, many, many times. Our prayers are formed out of the Word of God that He impresses on our hearts. Our, our prayers and our declarations are formed out of the Word of God. So Psalm 91, which really emphasizes God's protective posture toward His people, is, is one of those passages that many of us stand on and have stood on for, for many, many years. I, I primarily this morning want to talk to you about uh, the first, basically the first verse. We're going to look at a, a, a couple of verses, and then hopefully we'll have time to read through the chapter. But the whole of Psalm 91 is built upon what we're told in the very first verse. If we don't get what the first verse says, then we're just going to be reciting something out of the Bible, which isn't all bad, but we God's made a lot more than that available to us. We don't want to just recite things. We don't want to just uh, begin to pick up the verse that says, a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Great verse, great promise, but we don't want to just pick that up when there's a problem. We want that to be built into our hearts so that we have this understanding, so that as that does flow out of our prayers or our declarations that it's alive. It is a reality in our hearts. Okay, he, it, he says that uh, he has given his angels charge over us to keep us in all of our ways. Well, that's something 
We pray all the time. We pray over ourselves. We pray over our friends. Every time we go for a motorcycle ride or a trip or, you know, take off in the car, we, we pray that God would give his angels charge over us and keep us in all of his ways based on the promise out of Psalm 91. But it's a reality in our hearts. And so for every one of us, we, we need to understand what verse 1 says in order to be able to live this in, in that fashion. So um, go over there with me. And the verses that we have on your screen are going to be from the Amplified Bible. Um, I just love the way it reads, and I love the way it reads in this particular chapter. In, in <laughs> This particular chapter in particular. Yeah, don't even try this at home. Uh, so Psalm 91, verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. All right, let me read that again. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. So again, all the, all the promises in this chapter, the ones we love to quote, we love to sing, we, leave, we love to pray, they're, they're all based on what this scripture says, on living in a continual growing awareness of God's presence in us and around us. It, it, and so I want to go through these terms. We're not talking about, it says, you know, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. So that does bring these promises down to a focus, that the person who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God is going to live in the context, in the, under the shelter of who God is as a protector and a deliverer. So it does bring it down to a focus. It doesn't just say that everyone everywhere that does whatever is going to actually experience the fullness of these promises in their life. However, I want to be sure that in, in doing that, we're not talking about a reward system here for loving God. We're not talking about, okay, if I, if I love God well enough, then he will do this for me. It's more that the place, that secret place, the place of living with this awareness that we are in God and he is in us and practicing that to the point where it is real in our everyday life, where we can stop and settle back at times and we can realize the presence of God is here. The manifested presence of God. We talk about the manifested presence of God. There's the presence of God. He's everywhere all the time, right? The manifested presence of God is when his presence is active. It is releasing something. He is doing something. He is fulfilling something. And for us, we need to understand that every day, all the time, wherever we go, we not only live in but carry that presence of God. And there are times where we need to stop. You know, Boyd just talked to us about Think about what you're thinking about, essentially, and, and think about the voices that you're listening to. There are times where we need to stop and we need to say, wait a minute, and, and just become aware again of the presence of God. We need to live in this place. So let's break this down a little bit here. Um, I wrote it this way, that we're not talking about a reward system for loving God. This protection and these outlandish promises, and they are outlandish, uh, if it wasn't God saying them, uh, 
are simply the natural environment that exists within him. He is deliverer. He is protector. He is healer. He is the one who gives us peace. All right, so this word dwells. It says, he who dwells in the secret place. This word dwells, it has a long list of implications. And I'm going to give those to you this morning. Uh, the, the, com- the companion word to this in the New Testament would be abide. Uh, Jesus uses that Greek word meno, M-E-N-O. And uh, when he says, if we abide in him, his word will abide in us. And we can ask what we will and it'll be done for us. And that kind of thing. John 15, um, he talks about this. That would be the the comparative Greek or New Testament word. But this word dwells, it speaks first of location. Okay, of location. It It means to sit down or to take up residence in a specific location. That location is the presence of God. It's, a, it's an awareness of his presence and all that that means and all that he brings. This is a place we can actually live in an awareness of God's presence, of all that he is, of all that he brings. All right. This word means to live or make your home in a place. Live or make your home in a place. All right. It speaks of somebody's primary residence. That's become a, that's become a big word here in Gunnison recently, you know, primary residence. If your primary residence isn't here, then you're being asked to leave the valley. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, but, but we have most of us, even if you are a person who has a couple of homes, you probably have one that is your primary residence. Maybe you don't. But what this is saying is he who makes his primary residence in the secret place of the Most High God will experience the things that come after, okay? So our primary residence, that's the place where we live. It's the place where we sleep. It's the place where we rest. It's the place where we raise our kids. It's the place where you keep your stuff. You bring all your stuff, right? into and under your primary residence. It, it's, it's that place where you have dinner with family. It's that place where there's, there's, and I know not everybody has experienced this, but home should be a place of great security, should be a place where you can relax, a place where you can rest. That's what this word is talking about. So this is not a place we visit, this, this secret place of the Most High God. It's not a place we visit occasionally. It's not a place we go to and come back. It's not a vacation home. It is our primary residence, all right? In the New Testament, that word abide means ver- virtually the same thing, to settle down in a place. It, and, and the interesting thing in the New Testament is that that word speaks of place, but it also speaks of time in place. In other words, it speaks of in, enduring. It speaks of continuing. In other words, again, it means this is not a place we visit. This is a place we endure. This is a place we continue. This is a place where we live. It is, it is for, for many of you, I mean, uh, we have a few people in this church who were born and raised here. Most of us moved here somewhere later in our life. But uh, it is still, for me, it is, it is home. It is the place that God has called us. It is the place, it is home. It is our place. And, and we continue here. We don't come and go. 
We don't, and it's, and for some people, it is just a temporary residence. For us, it is home. It is the place where we live. It is the place where we will die. It is the place where we will be buried or our ashes scattered somewhere or whatever happens with all of that. It, it, we plan to live our entire life here. And this word abide in the New Testament, when Jesus talks about this, it is, I love the Passion Translation said, it is a life union with him. It's a lifelong union with him. So see this dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God, it's, again, it's not just, oh, hey, where were those good verses that I, I need and, and pull them up and we visit there? It's a place where we live, okay? We need, I believe, and I already said this to you to some degree, but I think we need to practice this presence and this idea that we do host his presence. He lives in us when we go into places. When things are stressful, just take a minute and back out and just get quiet and remember who is with you, who is on you. Settle back into the presence of God. When voices are hollering at you, when somebody's angry with you, when somebody's berating you, when when you don't know what to do, settle into that secret place. It's a quiet, it's a quiet place with the Lord. Okay, so it speaks of location. Secondly, it speaks of position. All right, and by this I mean it is a person's, the Old Testament uses this word to speak of a person's given position or role or place of authority. All right, we talk about a sitting president, right? Or a a sitting senator, a sitting congressman. It's that kind of idea. This is a person who is is sitting in a role, all right, in a position. And so for us, that means we sit, we, we live in a position of righteousness before him. We live in a position of right standing with him. It is, a, it is our rightful position under him and our rightful place to distribute the um, the benefits of that secret place, the promises that we find down in these other verses. Okay. Thirdly, it means this word dwells carries the idea of a choice of companions. It's used in the Old Testament to talk about dwelling with the wise or dwelling with scoffers. It's used the idea: who do you hang with? Who influences your life? Uh, Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Okay, we, we usually use the phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I don't know how many times, and it's a great little phrase, but I can't tell you how many times Karen and I have talked about something dealing with somebody and years ago, we warned them about the associations that they were making and keeping that were ungodly associations. And years later, they hadn't changed that and big problems came into their life through it. It's just a fact. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. We want to connect with people. We want to dwell with people. We want to have people in our life that are godly influences in our life. You know, God's grace is phenomenal. No question about it. God's grace is absolutely amazing. But if we continue to build ungodly relationships, not walk in his ways, not do that kind of thing, you can, you can repeat, you can quote Psalm 91 all day long. There are bad things still going to come into your life. This has got to be something more than that. It's got to be real. 
Okay, does that make sense? This, this word also speaks of chosen boundaries. Chosen boundaries. See, when, when we dwell someplace, we're automatically deciding not to dwell other places. Okay? If you choose one place as your primary residence, you're automatically eliminating a lot of other places as your primary residence. It, this word means to establish yourself and remain within a limited area, which is the presence, the purpose, and the ways of God. Okay, the secret place of the Most High God. Psalm 16, verse 6 says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. The boundary lines that God sets. The psalmist says, there are boundary lines. Okay, there are lines I don't cross. I stay on this side of the fence. Those have fallen in pleasant places. There's pleasantness to boundaries that God would set up. And so I believe personally that God establishes boundaries for every one of our lives. Some of those are, are just clear in the word of God. There are things that are godly, things that are ungodly, things that are good, things that are evil. Some of that's just clear for all of us. But, but in our lives, God, if you let him, will also set other boundaries that are specific to you. And they're not necessarily the same as somebody else. So you may have an issue. I have had issues that other people didn't have. So God set a boundary there, and I just can't participate in that. You know, the most obvious one for me is drinking alcohol, which is not forbidden in the Bible. You know, it's, it's not. Being drunk, being intoxicated on whatever uh, is, is forbidden in the Bible, but, but drinking isn't. Uh, and so, but for me, because I had an issue there, the Lord just said, there's no more place for, the, for you. There is no more place for this in your life. And that was that. And I went ahead and let God establish that boundary, and it's been a real blessing to my life. So, so there, there are boundary lines. There are things that you are affected by in a certain way that others aren't. So some of those will be personal. They're not always going to be identical. And then there are other ones that are just there for all of us. So it's just a good thing to understand. Part of dwelling in the secret place is letting God establish boundaries. All right. And so it says, he who dwells, those are the ideas in this word dwells, in the secret place. Okay. So there's a specific thing he's called, specific place he's calling us to live. That the term secret place, it just means a place of refuge, place where you are hidden away from danger and enemies. All right, you're, you're concealed. You are safe. It is that kind of place. It's a place of concealment in God's manifested presence, God's activity in your life. Okay, it's a place of privacy with God. So it's a place where we can go to be alone and quiet with God. It, again, it's a place of security. So we can go, and, and so in that, it means it's a place of vulnerability before God. It's a place where we need to take down any image that we're holding in front of our life, in front of other people, anything where, where we are trying to be something that, that we're really not. It is a place to come and just be totally open, totally vulnerable with the Lord the secret place. It's a place where you can fully trust whatever God brings to you in that place 
is going to be for your benefit. I mean, that's true all the time, but I, I hope you can get the feeling of this this morning, of just this place of quiet and security. You can be totally open with God in this place and let him be totally open with you. All right, it's a place of full submission and just longing to know him more. It's really a lot of the message of verse one and throughout this psalm is this person is longing to know him more. That is the greatest desire in this person's life, longing to know God more. All right, so let's look at what he says here again, still in verse one, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high, note that, of the most high, this is a specific name of God. So we're going to dwell in the secret place, but it's in the context of the Most High God. I'll tell you what that means in just a second. We'll remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty. This is a different name of God. All right, so again, the way I render this, and I'll, and I'll give you these definitions here in a second, is when we dwell in a continual relational revelation of the Most High, that positions us under the shadow of the God who is more than enough. All right, so, so let's look at it. It says if we, we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, that, that term uh, Most High comes from a Hebrew word, Elyon, E-L-Y-O-N, Elyon. And that is one of the names of God, and it emphasizes God's absolute authority. All right, so we're dwelling in the secret place under God's absolute authority. So part of our dwelling there is to recognize God as absolute authority. All right, so that means I'm not absolute authority. All right, my job isn't absolute authority. My bank account isn't absolute authority. Uh, my, the, the, um, the need for people to like me is not absolute authority. None of those things get to rise above God's authority. Everything that I am and everything that I have comes under God's absolute authority in the secret place. So I'm going to dwell in the secret place. This is what it is. We've got to be established under his authority in thought, word, deed, lifestyle. Okay, everything that we do, we've subjected ourselves to his authority and... We recognize his authority over every threat. So when a threat comes, when a disease comes, you know, I understand that they have to name these diseases so people can talk about it. I don't personally call the thing by a name. I call it that virus because it doesn't deserve a name. In, in the scripture, names mean something. They become titles. They they they. They add authority to something. And maybe that's just me, you know, do whatever you want. I, I don't care. But for me, I just, it bugs me to call that thing by name. It doesn't deserve a name. So anyway, I, I don't call it by name. But but at any rate, any threat that comes against us, in this in this case, it's a disease. Well, we need to step back and recognize in that secret place, that thing has to bow its knee to Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus is above every other name. And so in a lot of these, I'm saying this stuff to you, but these are things that we have to take time with. We have to practice. We have to spend time getting these things down in our heart so that a different response comes up out of our heart when something threatening like that comes. 
indignation rises because that thing has no authority to affect my life, okay? This has got to be real. Again, it can't just be a set of verses that, oh, let's remember and let's go repeat, you know, that's better than not doing that, all right? It's a good starting place, but we need to get these things down in our our hearts. We need to be actually standing in and living in these promises. So, so he says, he who dwells in this place of recognizing God as the highest authority, it says that will position us under his shadow. That will position us under the shadow and specifically the shadow of the Almighty. All right, that is the Hebrew title El Shaddai. El Shaddai. All right, and many of you know this. It it means that God is the Almighty Provider. He is the Almighty Provider. He is the one who was the source of all things. Therefore, he is the provider of all things. And he has both the authority and the power to provide all things into our lives. That's El Shaddai. It was a title given to the Lord. It actually came about in Abraham's life. I'm not going to go into that whole story. But when he provided, remember when he provided the ram? Abraham, I'm not going to go into the whole story, guys. He, he, he told Abraham to take his son Isaac up onto the mountain and to sacrifice him. And Abraham obeyed. And right at the end, when Abraham was clearly going to, going to obey that command, God said, stop, don't lay a hand on the boy. And he provided himself a ram, which is some pretty interesting language, uh, for the sacrifice, okay? And, and Abraham worshiped him as El Shaddai. All right, so that's where this come from. So it comes from, so, so when we dwell under his authority, it positions us. It says under the shadow of the Almighty. If you think about being under something's shadow, these chairs are casting shadows right now. Well, I'd have to get down on the floor and crawl right under that chair to be in its shadow. And I understand, you know, shadows get longer and shorter. You've got to be in something's proximity to be under its shadow. You've got to be really close to be under its shadow. And so that's the idea here is we come into this, it's an idea of proximity. It's an idea of being really close, right with the God who is more than enough. That's another rendering of that term, Al Shaddai. He is the God who is more than enough. It is actually the idea of a wet nurse in the Hebrew. In other words, the one who provides, the one who can, who can take a baby and feed it. All right. Um, so, so in the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So we have, we have these scriptures throughout the Bible that talk to us about God as provider. It's a part of his nature. It's something he wants to do. All right. So, in Psalm, here's another one, Psalm 138, verse 8, I love this. He will perfect, which means to complete, those things that concern me or have relevance to my life. Things that concern you, They're things that are your personal concern and issues. He will perfect. He will complete. He is aware. Jesus said he knows the numbers of the hair on our head. Jesus said, not a single sparrow falls to the ground that he's not aware of it. God knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you need. He is 
El Shaddai. All right? And so from this foundation that we've just described, the psalmist has made this place of intimacy, this secret place, this place of intimacy and vulnerability under God's authority. He has made that place his primary residence. And that has positioned him in this place of provision. And on the foundation of all that, the rest of the psalm begins to flow. And and the first thing is that he begins to declare who God is. Notice verse 2. He says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. See how personal that is? On him I lean and rely, and in him I confidently trust. All right, now I want to call your attention to that. It doesn't say, I will say to the Lord. In other words, this isn't what we're asking God for. This isn't a prayer we're praying to the Lord. This is something that has become such a part of the psalmist's heart that he starts to say this of the Lord to other people. He starts to declare who God is. And we declare who God is with our words, with our prayers, with our our purposeful declarations, but also with our lifestyles. The way we react to threats tells a lot about where we're really living in our heart, where our primary resonance really is. Okay, the way we react to threats, to enemies, to things that go wrong or right, honestly, things that go really well in our life, that tells us the way we react to that tells us something too. But this isn't what we're asking God for. It's what flows out of the abundance of the heart of a person who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. It's real. And so he begins to declare of the Lord, he's my God, he's my refuge, he's he's uh, my fortress. I, I lean on him, I trust in him. And what I see in this is, this is who we need to be right now to other people. Because not everybody, Christian or non-Christian, lives in this place. And so if we do, then we can be a blessing to people. We can bring peace where there's fear and agitation and chaos. We can be the voice of reason in situations. We can step in and and share with somebody that, wait a minute, there's a God who cares about, who's concerned for the things that concern your life. There, You know, we, this this can flow. And if it's real, if it's not just some religious statement we're making, people it, there will be a release of the peace of God. Okay, there will be a release of the peace of God. And so this declaration comes from that place that we've spoken of, of, of peace and confidence. All right, so let's go down through the rest of the verses. Looks like we're going to have time to do this. I'm not going to really teach on them. I'm just going to mention most of them to you. I've got a couple of comments on them, but let's just, in fact, let me let me get my Bible back open here. Uh, let's go down through the rest of these verses. I'll go ahead and do them from the Amplified. We've got enough time for that. Um, it says, well, wait a minute. I think I've got the wrong Amplified. I think we've got the fake Amplified here. Yeah, yeah. i got to get back to the real Amplified that came out in 1987. The classic. It's awesome. Uh, so verse 3, it says, For then... He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. 
uh, you know, again, this is not a quid pro quo, okay? If you do this all right, then he will do this. It's the natural environment of his presence. Again, and I talked to you about this a couple weeks ago, think of Jesus in the back of the boat. It, he didn't have to remember, dig through his Bible and remember what to say in that situation. Peace flowed out of him because peace existed in him. And it says, for then, when, the, when this person lives like this, all right, for then... God will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. We could go through, it would take us weeks and weeks to dig all this out. You can do it on your own. Every one of these terms is really, really important. In verse four, it says, then he will cover you with his pinions. That's these big feathers out here. And under his wings shall he trust and find refuge. I love this. His truth and his faithfulness are a shield and a buckler. Truth is truth. Truth is who God is and what God has said. So uh, Jesus said the Father's word is truth. Boom. Okay. Truth is not, everybody doesn't have their own truth. That's nonsense. Uh, there is truth. All right. Faithfulness is truth in action. Faithfulness is God's uh, determination to fulfill truth in your life. So his truth and his faithfulness, it says there is shield and a buckler. Shield is the big shield that you stand behind that quenches all the fiery darts, the thoughts that Satan wants to throw at you to pull you off the word, the lies that he wants to send to you. Right now, by the way, and I've heard this over and over, but I mean, this is the way it always works, but just to help some of you, right now, you get a little sniffle or you get a little sore throat. Watch, right behind there, there's the thought. Oh, maybe this is that. Maybe this is the big C. Oh, no. Maybe this is it. And, and it comes right behind. The thought is the danger. The sniffle is no big deal. The sore throat is no big deal. If you take the thought, you can have the big C. Okay. If you, if you take the thought, that's where the life or death, uh, is for you. Okay. So God's word acts as a shield. God's word rises up and quenches that fiery dart, that thought that comes into your heart. And the Holy Spirit will just do it. He'll, he'll raise up by the stripes of Jesus Christ. I am healed. The Lord God is my healer. He has sent the word and healed me. He healed them all, whatever it might be. Those, that, that word will come up like a shield. It'll quench that fiery dart. The buckler is a little handheld shield that you whack people with, I think, mostly. I mean, I suppose they knocked off different, you know, things that were attacking them too with it. But uh, but that buckler was also, it's an offensive weapon. The shield is a defensive weapon. The buckler is actually an offensive shield. So that's all I have on that. But I love that truth and his faithfulness. You can take his faithfulness and use it offensively. You can remember what God has done before he will do it again. You can, you can get into that secret place and remember the things that God has fulfilled and you can use that offensively against the devil. It's just good stuff. Verses five and six, it says, uh, you shall not be afraid, yea, of the terror of the night, nor of the arrow, the evil plots and slanders of the wicked that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor of the destruction and sudden death that surprise and lay waste 
at noontime. If fear tries to come into your life, don't get condemned about it. I saw somebody having a debate about this the other day on on Facebook, and they were coming to the conclusion, well, that fear is natural. We should just, these were Christians. Fear is natural. We should just, it's an emotion. We need to embrace it. People shouldn't say fear is bad. Fear is bad. Fear will kill you. Fear will bring destruction into your life. God doesn't want you to live in fear. Don't get condemned when fear comes. Just recognize it's an enemy. Just recognize it's an enemy. I don't have to have it. Fear attracts demonic activity like faith attracts the Holy Spirit activity. So uh, just reject it and and get whatever help you need to get, but get fear out of your life. You let it in one area, it's going to be everywhere. It's like cockroaches. Okay, so verse 7 and 8, it says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. All right? Only a spectator shall you be, yourself inaccessible in the secret place of the Most High as you witness the reward of the wicked. Again, this isn't this isn't even speaking about judgment, really, and we don't have time to go into it. But uh, but the idea here, the primary idea, is that things are going to happen around you, and they can swirl around you. And this idea of a spectator includes the idea of a helper. So it's many times, you know, whether it's a whether it's anything unfortunate, whether it's a car accident, whether it's a sickness, whatever it is, your role is to be to to see it and to help, not to participate. Okay, this is a promise from God. But man, we've got to get it down in our hearts. Okay, and we all know things happen on planet Earth. None of us get this stuff a hundred percent. We all get it. We all understand. But at the same time, we need to we need to take these things to heart and realize these are his promises for us. All right, verse 9, because you have made the Lord your refuge and the Most High your dwelling place, there shall no evil befall you, nor any plague or calamity come near your tent. Boy, that one's just been going off in my heart. This plague, calamity cannot come near our house. Our house is off limits. Verse 11, for he will give his angels charge over you to accompany and defend you and preserve you in all of your ways of obedience and service. They shall bear you up on their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So let me just say this about that. Angels, they're created beings. The book of Hebrews tells us they're sent to serve the heirs of salvation. That's us. We don't, I don't believe that we command the angels specifically. I believe God does that. But Psalm 103 tells us the angels hearken to the voice of his word. Okay, the angels hearken. In other words, they are sent, they are released by the voice of his word. Okay, I believe that means two things. When God speaks, angels perform what he spoke. Okay, we've seen, we see that all through the scripture. But when you think about that term, the voice of his word, who is the voice of his word in the earth? Who speaks his word? Where is the voice of his word in the earth? It's the church. It's us. So as these things get deep in our hearts and we begin to speak them out, we begin to pray them out, we begin to declare them from a genuine heart of faith, the angels do go to work on your behalf. But I'm just saying, I don't think we have to think up, well, okay, I want this one to do that and this one to do this. I, I, don't, I don't see that. I know some people think that. I, I just don't see that. I don't think we need to do that. 
I think we just stay in a place of faith and, and let his word roll out of us and the angels do what the angels need to do. Okay, so that's one, Psalm 103, verse 20, in case you're wondering. All right, and then it goes on, verse 13, it says, You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, shall you trample underfoot. In Luke 10, 19, Jesus says almost the same thing. He tells us that he gives us all authority to trample on the enemy. So it's a verse about our authority, about stepping out in our authority. And then it says, because he, because the psalmist has set his love upon me, this is God speaking now, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows and understands my name. He has a personal knowledge of my mercy, love, and kindness. He trusts and relies on me, knowing I will never leave him, never forsake him. No, never. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And I love verse 16. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Proverbs chapter 3 says something very similar that God will give us a length of days and a life worth living as we live with him. God wants good things for your life. And I just encourage you. I mean, that's a whole, that's a parcel of promises, okay? That is a bunch of promises, individual promises, but they're all predicated on verse one. And again, you've got you to keep your head from going to earning something. The point is, you know, at the end here, it says, because he set his love on me. Well, we love him because he first loved us. We, you know, he's, a, it's an invitation. I heard, I think it was, I heard somebody the other day, I think it was Bill Johnson saying, this is an invitation into this secret, intimate place with God. And in that place, all these other things are the natural environment, all right, that we can walk in and we can carry. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that as people have the opportunity to hear this, Lord, they would sink deep into our hearts, into every one of us. Lord, eliminating fear, eliminating a sense of rejection, eliminating guilt and condemnation, eliminating anything that would keep us from fully experiencing the promises that you have here for us. And I pray, Father, for us as a church in particular, for our MCM, as we go out this week, that we do go out and be the church, that we carry your presence, that we carry your thoughts, we carry your heart, and we release them in life and power to other people around us. I thank you for that this morning in Jesus' mighty name. All right, we're going to say this on the count of three, that Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. And whenever you're watching this, just know that you know, there's some of this we can control and some of it we can't make right, but be patient, get it when you can, and um, feed on it. All right, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.